0: Hey there, and welcome to the sermon podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Brothers and sisters, we are in Ephesians 5 today. If you have your Bible, open it, follow along, or follow along on the screen as I read verses 1 and 2, 21 and 22, 25 and 32 from Ephesians chapter 5. This is Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus and also then to us. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as you do to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. May God add his blessing to the reading and the understanding and the doing of his holy word. Friends, welcome to week three in our series. It's called For Better or Worse. We're talking about relationships relationships and each week during the series I have asked you to bring to mind someone in particular so that as I talk about relationships in general you're thinking of an actual person someone you love so I want you to do that again today uh, maybe it's the same person as last week or maybe it's a different person but it's someone you care about so it could be a neighbor a coworker, someone in your life group it could be a spouse it could be a parent a child a friend you got someone in mind Yes? Okay, great. Now, we know that relationships are great. We know that relationships are great, but that they take work. They take work. So, I'm going to get my dad to bring out my boxes here, which I forgot to get earlier. Thank you, Dad. Isn't it great to have a dad as a stagehand? You're the best. So, um, they take work, and we all start these relationships with an invisible but very real box of desires. We all start these relationships with a box of desires, and uh, these are the things that we dream of and hope for for ourselves and for that person that you are thinking of this morning. So when it's a, maybe it's at your work, it's a relationship with your boss or your co-worker, and you're saying, gosh, I really wish at my work that we would be rewarded and acknowledged. And maybe not a medal around my neck, but just someone to speak a word of, of congratulations or appreciation to me. Maybe at work you have a desire that you would share your faith openly, and you would be very transparent about who you are in Christ. Uh, maybe at work you want everyone just kidding around and putting other people's stapler in jello. And uh, that'd be a fun, we're just going to have pranks all the time in our workplace. Uh, You have desires for your kids, perhaps, about what kind of musical gifting they might have and how hard they'll practice the trumpet, Um, no matter how it sounds at the beginning. We know at the end it's going to sound amazing. And uh, we have desires about what our kids do with money, right? And we have desires about friendships, about, we're going to have book club together. Every third Friday we're going to read fun books, and we're going to work out together very early in the morning, as early as 5.30 or 5.45, and you have, you have desires for your relationship with your spouse about who's going to get up in the night, right, when the babies cry, and who's going to get up in the night when there's a strange sound in the basement. And you bring all these desires into your relationships, but then something happens over time in which we take these desires, good, even God-given desires, and we move them from the desires box into the box of expectations and what began as I wish and I dream of now becomes well you better and I expect and the thing about this is friends the box of desires is light isn't it it's life giving but the box of expectations is heavy boy this is like a burden to carry around now, this is the dynamic that I want you to think about and consider as you think about your relationships. And uh, as we've gone through this series, a couple of you have asked me, well, Pastor, okay, I get it, but is there ever a time when it's okay to have expectations? Because expectation doesn't have to be a dirty word, does it? Well, of course not. And yes, there are context and relationships in which expectations are good and right. And so we know bosses have expectations for their employees, right? That's a good thing. And parents have expectations for their kids. We should have expectations for our kids, shouldn't we? There are some things that are okay in our household and some things that are not okay. And we have expectations. Notice this. Most of all, the Lord above has expectations for all of us, doesn't he? And when we open his word, there are plenty of shall and shall not in here. And these are not suggestions, right? These are commands. God has expectations for us, his children. And God is right to have those expectations for us. So don't let this be a dirty word, but notice when someone has authority over you, it is good and right for them to have expectations for you. What we're talking about in this series mostly is mutual relationships, and the problem is not expectations so much, but it's, it's desires which have become expectations. You follow me? Okay, so that's where I want you to think and that's where I want you to be as we go through this series and to notice the difference and to notice what started out as something life-giving and peaceful and grace-filled has become something that tears down and is full of judgment and accusation. Um, think about it like this. Think about it like this. Let's say I loan you money. And you now owe me money. And so long as you owe me money, you can never give me money, right? Because any time you give me money, it will be seen not as a gift. Like, oh, isn't that so nice of you to give me that? It will be seen as a repayment, won't it? So long as you owe me money. So let's say you give me 20 bucks. But let's say you owe me more than 20 bucks. So not only am I not thinking, oh, that's such a nice gesture. What am I thinking? Where's the rest? Right? Where's the rest? So anytime we are living and operating out of expectations, out of what we owe one another, there is very little room for gifting. There is very little room for unconditional love. There is very little room for gratitude in a relationship that is based on expectations because, well, that's just what you're supposed to do. You're the man, you're supposed to. You're the woman, you're supposed to. You're my friend, you're supposed to do this. This is what I expect from you. In relationships characterized by debt, in relationships characterized by expectations, there's very little room for unconditional love or the expression of gratitude. Now, how do we know, friends, if our relationship has drifted from desires to expectations? Well, there's a question you can ask yourself. It's very simple, and the question is this. What does he owe me? Or what does she owe me? Ask yourself that question as you think about the person you have in mind this morning. What do they owe you? And be honest with yourself about the answer to that question. Now, the answer I hope we can get to, the spiritually mature answer to this question, is what? Nothing. Nothing. This person owes me nothing. And this is the paradox of covenant relationship, friends, of Christian relationship. I am aware I owe the other person everything, but they owe me nothing. I owe Jesus everything, but he owes me nothing. Now, how is this possible? Well, it's possible because of the cross of Jesus Christ, who paid your debt of sin so that you can be set free. And he has declared to you now you owe him nothing in terms of the debt of your sin. All you have to do is believe in him. So because you have been set free from that debt, because you owe God nothing, because Jesus has paid it for you, now you are able to say to someone else, now you owe me nothing. You owe me nothing. So how do we get there? How do we get to this place of freedom, of liberation, of of truly believing that we don't have to have expectations, that we're set free, that nobody owes us anything? How How do we... Avoid operating out of this box of expectations. Well, some of us might think, well, you know what? The best thing to do is just get rid of my desires. Just take this box and throw it out and dump it. Don't have any desires. Don't have any dreams or wishes. Just pray the magic prayer. Become some neutral vanilla person, right? Whatever. I don't care. That's not very realistic, is it? Let me tell you also, friends, it's not healthy. Remember, a lot of these desires are desires that God has given you. Do you realize the personality that you have is from God? A lot of your likes and dislikes are the way God made you. Okay, so to get rid of your desires is to reject your created being, the self that God made you to be. So we're not going to try to get rid of our desires. That's a very unchristian idea. Another way that people have tried to solve this dynamic of expectations which started as desires is to make rules to make rules and laws to govern this right here. And I don't know if you've noticed, but in the evangelical church in the last few decades, we have become famous for making rules, for adding rules. And it sounds like this, good Christians always, and fill in the blank, or good Christians never, and you fill in the blank, right? And we make lots of rules, lots of rules. We say good Christians always read their Bible, good Christians always pray, Good Christians always say please and thank you, right? But good Christians never drink and they never smoke and they never dance like Mick Jagger on karaoke night. (laughs) Friends, the problem with a faith based on rules is it reduces the life-giving gospel of the resurrection of Jesus down to a code of conduct. That if you just do these 10 things, you know, then you can be right with God. But Jesus is not inviting you into a code of conduct he's inviting you into a covenant he's inviting you into a life-giving relationship that is based on the promises of god you see we are not interested most of us in the code of conduct right do you want someone to give you a bunch of rules i don't right so we want to enter into a covenant which is built on trust and mutuality and loving one another gratitude unconditional love so the solution is not to get rid of your desires the solution is not to make a bunch of rules to try to govern this now, some of you have figured out what the solution is, haven't you? Do you know what it is? It's to take the things out of this box, expectations, and put them back in this box, in the box of desires. That sounds good, and it's, it's easy to say, a little harder to do, right? Right? So how do we get there? How do we get to a place where we are transforming our relationships from a a relationship based on expectations to one based on desires? Well, Paul teaches us in Ephesians 5, and I'm going to just let you know right up front, you may not like this. Um, There's days when I do not like this because this is a hard teaching. It's a challenging teaching. But I'm telling you today, if you do this, it will revolutionize your relationships. It will transform your relationships. That is the power of this word from Ephesians 5. And Paul starts like this in the fifth chapter. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Okay, so he's saying, look, we have an example to follow. It's the example God has given us to become more like his son, Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus do that we can emulate? Well, he gave up his life for us, right? Jesus died so that we can live. And just as Jesus sacrificed himself for us, now we are invited to sacrifice ourselves one for another. And in case we still don't get it, now Paul puts an even finer point on it in verse 21. He says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit. What do you think of that word? That's not a popular word, is it? Nobody likes to talk about submission, much less to do it, because the world tells us that submission means getting stepped on like a doormat, right? The world tells us submission means, well, you totally lose yourself in the process. In order to lift someone else up, you have to be torn down. Let me suggest to you, that's not how Christian submission works, friends. Uh, think about it. Was Jesus a doormat? No, Jesus was the strongest being to ever walk the earth, and yet he submitted to the will of the Father. For the sake of your salvation. So when you submit, it means put the desires of someone else ahead of yourself. Put the needs and the wants and the preferences of someone else ahead of yourself. And you say, you come into a relationship and say, I'm going to prioritize your dreams ahead of my own. Okay, look at this verse again. Submit to one another out of reverence for one another. This is where we get tripped up. We think, well, you know, he or she doesn't really deserve my reverence. What is reverence, by the way? Like respect, awe, admiration. Yeah, he or she doesn't really deserve my admiration. He or she doesn't really deserve my respect. Fine, right. Paul is not saying submit to one another out of reverence for one another. So if you're waiting for the other person to earn your respect and your admiration, you're all, oh, quit it because you're going to be disappointed. Instead, he says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So all the reverence, all the respect, all the awe, all the admiration you have toward your Lord Jesus, use that as the motivation for you to submit to the other person in your life that you're thinking of this morning. It it would be as if you had a conversation with God. And it was going like this. God, I'm so grateful for what you've done for me. Lord, you are so generous and amazing. You offered Jesus Christ to die in my place. You have granted me eternal life in his name. What could I ever do to repay you? What could I ever do, Lord, to thank you? And God says to you, are you serious? And you say, well, yes, Lord, of course. I'm very sincere. What can I do to show you my appreciation? And God says, okay. I want you to take all that gratitude you have toward me, all that appreciation, all that passion, and I want you to pour it out into the life of the person that you're thinking of this morning. And you say, whoa, whoa, hang on, Lord, time up. No, no, you didn't understand me. I want to show my appreciation to you, Lord, what you have done for me. And God says, no, no, I heard you. I know exactly what you're saying. All that admiration, all that gratitude, all that love you feel toward me, Lord says, I want you to pour it out into the life of someone else. And you say, "Mm, I don't know. Is is there anything else I can do to show you my appreciation, Lord? I could give 11% to the church instead of just 10%. Lord, please, is there something else? And the Lord says, look, I want you to put that person first. Not because they've earned it, not because they're so great, but because that is your call for a life-giving relationship. You put them first because I have put you first. You submit to them because I have submitted to you. And God says, remember this debt-free relationship that you and I have? And you say, oh, yes, Lord, that's what I love about being a disciple. I'm set free, I'm liberated, I don't have to carry this burden. God says, yes. Now you take that concept of debt and relieving and forgiving of debt and you apply it to your relationship with that person. And you declare to them that they do not owe you anything. Just as I have declared to you, you don't owe me anything. Imagine How it would change our relationships, friends, if each of us lived this way, in a way that is free of expectation and free of debt. If we were more concerned with fulfilling the other's desires than having our own fulfilled. Imagine if the relationship you're thinking of this morning was marked by a submission competition in which each person is racing the other to the back of the line and trying to outdo one another in service, in love, in gratitude. It's not a coincidence that today's Mother's Day, is it? Uh, We're talking about how to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I think one of the reasons we're so enchanted with our mothers is because they do this, don't they? Do you know any moms who do this? I do. I do. Our moms put us ahead of themselves, don't they? When I was growing up, mom made the dinner. Mom was the first person to get up from the table when something was missing from the table, and she was the last to eat mom submits to us out of reverence for christ moms took us to soccer practice and they went to work to provide for the family and they served on the pta board and they taught sunday school and they hosted play dates and they put up with all of our shenanigans didn't they and the love of a mother reminds us of the love of god for all of us that we serve a mothering god Jesus says, I desired like a mother hen to gather you in in my brood and to protect you and to nurture you. That is the love of God for us, friends. And so we praise God today for our moms. So Paul continues. Paul's talking about this idea of submission. And now he goes to the example of marriage. And of course, this is the verse that all the ladies just love. You've been begging me to preach on this verse. Uh, it's the next verse, verse 22. Can you put it up there? Here we go. Wives, su- <laughs> yeah, it's getting hotter here. It's getting hotter here. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, here's what this verse does not say. Wives, submit to your husbands because they are so great. Right? It does not say, wives, submit to your husbands because they're perfect in every way. It does not say, wives, submit to your husbands because they'll never let you down. It doesn't say that. Because the Lord knows your husband will let you down. Right? Lord knows that we, the husbands, we are fallen. We are broken creatures. And we don't always get it right. And so instead, Paul says, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Because the Lord is perfect and perfectly loving, and the Lord will never let you down. So all the reverence that you have toward Jesus Christ, Paul says, now you pour it out, you channel it toward your husband out of reverence for me, God says. Now, a lot of sermons on this uh, passage, they stop right there and say, amen, let's all go home. But guess what? There's more to the story. Uh, It's interesting if you keep reading. Um, There's more, and Paul also addresses the men. Did you know that? So let's skip ahead a little bit here to verse 25. Paul says this, Husbands, your turn. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, you are commanded to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now, how did Christ love the church, men? He died for her. He died for us, didn't he? Let me suggest to you, there is hardly a more submissive act than to die to yourself for the sake of someone else. Do you see, friends, the submission that Paul is talking about is mutual, right? It's not just for women. It's for all disciples, men and women. It's for children and adults. Everyone who follows Jesus is called to submit to one another, to lay down our lives one for another. And in case we missed it, then Paul finishes this whole section in verse 32. He says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He's like, look, I gave you the example of marriage, and that's one place where it, where it happens. But it's bigger than just marriage, friends. This is in all of our human covenant relationships with the disciples of Jesus Christ in and through the church. This is Christ for us. He is the groom, and we are his bride. And this is the nature of his relationship with us that we would submit one person to another. Here's the point. God loves you. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And he wants you to know and experience that love. And God also loves the people who are in your life. And the best way God knows to love them in the name of Christ is through you. You are the number one earthly tool. You are the number one earthly vessel that God is using to love that person that you thought of this morning when I asked you to think of someone God wants you to be a channel of his love to them. God says to you, you take this debt-free relationship that you and I have. You take this life-giving covenant that you and I have and you pour it out into the life of that other person. And all the gratitude and all the warm feelings you have toward me, the Lord says, you take that and you share it with that other person. And you say, oh, well, but they don't deserve it, right? This is one of the kinds of pushback that we hear when we give this sermon. Is, you know, I have been working to fulfill this person's desires, but they don't appreciate it. They don't. I tried. She doesn't get it. Or he never said thank you. Have you ever said that out loud or at least think it to yourself? I know you have. I have. Get this, friends. We're not fulfilling the other's desires in order to make them appreciate us. We are fulfilling the other person's desires out of reverence to Christ. So even if that person never says thank you, you do it anyway. You do it anyway out of reverence for Christ. Here's another kind of pushback that we hear. Uh, pastor, you know, that's all well and good, but you just don't realize how bad my relationship is. Uh, you don't know how difficult, how messy, how broken it is. You don't realize how bad it is. Can I tell you something? Yes, I do. (laughs) Yes, we do. Because when you're a pastor, people come and sit in your office and they pour out their heart. And as pastors, we cry with you and we ache with you and we pray with you and we hear about all sorts of horrible things that happen in relationships like infidelity and abuse and neglect and hard feelings. And so we know we know, uh, you know, churches are like hospitals, right? And pastors are like nurses. You call us when there's a problem, and you say, "Hey, I need some help," right? Nobody ever calls us to be like, "Hey, pastor, just want to let you to know everything's great, the sun is shining, you know, my wife loves me, and kids are very obedient, they, uh, you know, little Roger got an A on a science test." <laughs> Nobody, and I'm not. We're not asking for those calls. Amen, Pastor Matt. <laughs> <laughs> We don't, need, we don't need those calls. My point is, we know how bad it is. So please don't walk away this morning and say, nah, they just don't get it. Yes, we get it. But you know more important than that? The Lord gets it. The Lord knows. The Lord knows your situation. And this is the word he has given you to address it. This is the word he has given you to address it. He has said to you, you submit out of reverence to Christ. You submit to that other person and watch what the Lord can do. And you're saying, oh, but it's hard. Of course it's hard. Impossibly hard. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do it. You can do it. And it might be the hardest thing you ever have to do in your life. But I'm telling you, friends, it's worth it. (laughs) It is totally, totally worth it. Homework? You ready to talk homework? Okay. Um, Here's what I want to invite you to do if you want to do homework this week. Uh, find practical ways to submit yourself to that person that you're thinking of today. Out of reverence for Christ, you go out of your way to submit to them, okay? Now, here's the catch. You cannot tell them this is what you're doing. Like, hey, look what I did for you. I'm submitting myself to you. Aren't I so great? Tell me how great I am. Okay, that's the opposite. You have to do it secretly, do it secretly. Don't tell anyone except the Lord. And then you go and do it and you do it for one day and do it for two days. You do it for seven days and go to your journal and write down what happens. Write down what happens. I guarantee you God is going to move through that. God can use people with willing hearts, friends. God will transform your relationship. Just watch. Just watch.